Welcome to this episode of Right Stuff, presented and produced by me, Chris Fitzgerald, through the Head Stuff Podcast Network. This is another episode I recorded at the brilliant Right by the Sea Festival in Kilmore Quay in Wexford. Thanks again to all there for having me. This episode is with the brilliant Rob Doyle. In this, Rob talks about his novel, Here Are the Young Men, his story collection, This is the Ritual, his forthcoming novel, which I can't wait for, and an anthology of experimental Irish writing called The Other Irish Tradition, which came out earlier in the year. And lots more, including a bit of a chat about Nick Cave. Um, Thanks to Rob for his time with this, and thank you for listening. Please enjoy and review, rate, subscribe, and also you can follow me on Twitter at WriteStuffChris for updates. So, Rob Doyle, thanks a million for joining me on Write Stuff. Um, I was just at an event where you were sharing the stage with Kip Duval and being interviewed by Ricochet. How did you feel that went? Is that like because you've been doing a lot of public uh, engagements recently and how, how is that side of it for you? Like going from this apparent solitude of a writer to being in public? Yeah, well, that one there was a real pleasure uh, because Kip Duval uh, turned out to be a very um, easy, chilled partner to... Uh, engage in uh, conversation with and Ricochet is, is a real pro I've done a couple of events before where he's interviewed me so that was good but I can really enjoy that public side of it which sometimes it's still a surprise for me to say that because um, I really did get into writing because of a introverted nature solitary nature um, by being in my own head a lot of the time and you know like when I was younger like many young people shyness was a real thing and awkwardness and all of that uh, and also public speaking used to terrify me I mean mortal terror I used to I, had to, I kind of got some help over it and stuff professional help at once this was years ago so um, but obviously it's expected of you, if you're a writer now, to promote your work and to do these talks and events. And in Ireland, we're fortunate enough to have a lot of them. And so I've come to really relish it, actually. Yeah, really? I, ten- okay. yeah I tend to That's enjoy it. a massive it. change. It is, yeah. It's so just, have, have these helped you then come out of yourself in a I way guess as well? so, With yeah. Well, maybe the, the, uh, the link, the missing link in that story is before... Um, before I became a writer, I was a teacher for a few years, and so that you have to get it out of your system. Then you have to get over that kind of uh, unwillingness to stand up in front of a room full of people and talk and talk and talk. So uh, I kind of halfway gotten over it by then, and then, um, but it was more giving readings. It's more giving readings can still be unnerving. I'll be honest, because writing is such an intimate, private, dirty kind of thing, you know, it's this kind of lavatorial activity in it, almost. Um, <laughs> what do you mean by that? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what I mean, you're getting really grubby with your, with your thoughts and okay. your, you know, when I sit down uh, to write, whether it's fiction or non-fiction, I'm really pursuing an idea of, an ideal of total freedom. I want to say whatever I want to say with complete glee and with joyful freedom and not to be censoring myself and not to feel um, constrained by propriety or by any kind of limitations like that. And so I tend to write and I tend to write about stuff that's very, can be very personal. It can be very explicit. It can be very sexual about sex. It can be about um, 
extreme thoughts and all manner of dark the kind of when i say lavatorial obviously i'm joking but in a sense it it it, it does what i mean is the stuff that you tend to keep to yourself most of the time i tend to put that on the page and you know most writers do and uh, so then to get up in front of a room full of people and read that mm. can be uh, unnerving i have to choose carefully the parts i read okay yeah but the introversion was was that a necessary thing for you to be creative eventually i mean all of that time inside your own brain processing thoughts processing words maybe processing characters and narratives without you even really maybe it was a subconscious thing that was happening for years before you started to really write yes not necessarily um narratives and that Mm. kind of thing but yeah i just feel that to have I don't know about a creative nature in general, but specifically to be a writer, you really do need to have that natural taste for solitude and for introversion and introspection. Even if you're a very, you know, I've been writing more drifting towards autobiography and non-fiction-y kind of stuff more recently, but even if you're a very fiction character-based writer of fiction and so on all of those other characters are you can only draw them up because you've applied intense introspection to your own self even the characters who aren't any anything like you um and the thing is while i enjoy to a degree i can really enjoy the public side of things i love this i love coming here talk about my work you know uh, while that's all true i still the, the core fact hasn't changed though you know i still have a very introspective nature i still spend almost all my time alone on my own um and usually find that very satisfying in some sense you know and i still spend much of my time reading and that's a very intimate activity it's it's solitary and yet it's communion with some other consciousness and um that's still the lifeblood for me. Mm. But the satisfaction then of when here are the young men came out or this is the ritual, that must be incredible satisfaction. And you have a lot of exciting projects going on now. Yeah. Um, that's, is that an added satisfaction? I mean, that your work is out there now? And what kind of feeling does it give you to know that people are in their rooms by themselves now reading your work? It's, it's as, it is as fabulous as you describe it. It's um, the path for me to becoming a writer was by no means painless and more broadly and I say this without self-pity but I I haven't it hasn't been a a trouble-free life you know it's been a kind of messy chaotic life and there's been lots of traumas and suffering and chaos and destruction however there is a great sense of the consolation, the, the the redemption of writing, not just of writing, but of being well-published, being senior work in the world, having people read it um, in the midst. You know, I, write, I tend towards a fairly dark subject. I mean, I think I'm a pretty comical writer. I'm drawn towards humor and comedy, but I tend to write about fairly um, distraught, distressing situations and characters and you know, people who are very much on the edge or over the edge. Mm. Uh, and, you know, maybe I've seen a lot of that kind of stuff in my life and the people I've been around, etc. But when I get 
th- there is a yeah there is a real sense of intense satisfaction and meaning for all of that experience to kind of coalesce from it being raw painful chaos for for it to kind of coalesce into mm-hmm. books that people are as you say at home reading in their rooms yeah and you you spoke earlier about the music that you listen to are the musicians and songwriters that you listen to being influenced by literature and I wonder if that those lyricists are influencing your writing because when I read your work who I think of most is somebody like Nick Cave the kind of darkness and the the dark characters that he writes about Mm. and the narratives in his songs and there's just some massive connection with that music it does do writers like Nick Cave and maybe even Leonard Cohen, the kind of darker sides of him, influence your writing? Yes. Okay. <laughs> you will okay, be, so I was right. It will be no surprise to you to find, yeah, to hear that I love Nick Cave's right. work uh, very passionately. Leonard Cohen's too. In fact, um, it's well spotted, I feel, well uh, intuitive, because I remember specifically when I was writing my first novel here at a young man, which is very, you know, violent and extreme and uh, energetic and I remember I was living in London at the time and I remember cycling around London cycling into work I was teaching and cycling home with the music on the headphones as usual and I remember listening to certain Nick Cave songs and very songs that have a kind of celebratory ecstatic approach to violence mm. and the to murder ballads and, and yeah. yeah that's what that's what specifically i was thinking about his murder ballads murder and ballad. the stories and the yeah, spiritual yeah and there's brutality yeah and he has a kind of but it's not um there's a kind of there's an ecstatic quality songs like diana there's an mm. ecstatic quality too but i remember listening to those and very directly being inspired by the kind of energy of those while i'm cycling while i'm on the bike and then in the midst of that kind of inspiration and excitement thinking about the next page that I was going to write when I got home to my desk that afternoon so yeah there was almost a more direct connection than than I than I thought about in a while I mean I still I mean I listen to a hell of a lot of music and not all of it is lyrical you know based in lyrics but like I'd listen to a lot of uh, rap and hip-hop and stuff now and I find like with certain rappers like the flair the lyrical flair and the visceral energy and the kind of uh the wit can be really electrifying mm. and i guess that feed, you know you would hope that still feeds into the writing yeah the atmosphere and the energy there's an edginess to it yeah so you think it might be subconsciously kind of filtering through to what you're outputting then as well? yeah subconsciously and just in terms of i mean i'm reading all the time and i'm listening mm. to music all the time and of course you know you're listening to the rhythm the rhythm of language and to 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 the the swerve of a mm. sentence and to the uh, volatile syntax and all of that stuff that any you know be it be it a rapper or be it Nick Cave or mm. be it a great writer you know it's it's, it's the same thing um, and so it's all the fuel to the fire you yeah. know which is not to say that I sit down and write stuff that sounds like that or whatever but it's all. There's, yeah, it's like few, you said, the, flair, the, the atmosphere. Yeah, it's yeah, yeah. the atmosphere, but the, the lyrical mm. dexterity is always just feeding that hunger of mine for for exciting language, for su- for surprising language. I think yeah. surprise is the is the is the element yes, that I always yeah. appreciate, be yeah. it in a song or in a 
sentence. You know, yeah. I love sentences that don't do what I expected them to do. Yeah, that's and that's the, that's why I went back to the humor in your work as well. Yeah. The humor can be surprising, and sometimes you're laughing at something that you feel <laughs> you shouldn't be laughing at or something. Yeah. So you're surprised at yourself for laughing at it yeah. as well, and then that it comes across as so original. And there's an edge to that, and that that works with some of the songs. Of Nick Cave as well, where you're kind of laughing yeah, at these sick situations. Yeah, yeah he's hilarious. <laughs> he's a, I, I wonder, does he get sufficient credit for the humour and oh, wit in his yeah. songs? You know, uh, like we call upon the author to explain. Yeah, that's songs. great. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 fabulous. Uh, yeah, but I mean, then the dark, like Skeleton Tree, his latest album. Yeah, so yeah. There's a couple. I thought the first two tracks on that, uh, mm. Jesus Alone, and then yeah. there's one called The Rings of Saturn, yeah. which I think is as fabulous as anything he's ever done and did you see him live on his tour there didn't he played i'm living in berlin now yeah. and they, he played in berlin in a big uh, i think it was like the olympic stadium or something a friend of mine went and said it was extraordinarily good uh, i didn't get to see it i've seen him uh, some years ago yeah because yeah. he spent time in berlin as well i wonder if there's any he uh, did he did yeah uh, he did uh, he's still a big figure over there as yeah. you can imagine i went to see that wings of desire the, oh, yeah. uh, the, uh, in Vendor's film in the yeah. cinema in the outdoor open air cinema in Kreuzberg and McCabe of course has a kind of cameo in the end of that yeah. looking spidery and skeletal and elongated yeah. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of correlations between you actually <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so just to, I found it interesting to think that and this is something that I've heard a lot of writers say that while you were working on uh, sorry, Here Are The Young Men mm. you were also working on some of the stories for This Is The Ritual Yes. there was a bit of an overlap yes. and I often find that with creative people they they might need another project to get them away from that bigger project yeah. to kind of open up the avenues for that you're, one you're a bit on the side as it yeah. Were. yeah and I wonder I was delighted to hear that you have a third novel coming out does that mean that there's also another collection of stories <laughs> no okay. no uh, I kind of I kind of lost interest somewhat in writing short stories after I completed this is the ritual. There were probably, I mean, there were many stories that didn't make it into that book, you know, uh, that I had written. And I wrote a couple after it, but I very, I kind of felt like that cycle, that sequence had come to a natural conclusion. Mm. And what I've been interested in for the last few years has been a more fluidly genre hopping, genre disrespecting form of writing, even where, uh, where, fiction blends with essay blends with memoir blends with travel and so on and so the latest novel the one i've finished uh, just now and won't be out for another year or so but that's uh, that's getting away from the short story form and more towards this um very personal and yet not free of fictional mm. form of writing yeah okay yeah. so you say that it'll be out, it's done, but it won't be out until next year. Do you, how do you avoid like tinkering with it now <laughs> in, the, in the meantime? Or like, how do you just completely know that it's finished? Well, um, I sent it on to my agent back in late April, I think. And he sent it on to uh, Bloomsbury, my publishers. And they loved it. They were quite taken aback because it's a very um, gone in a direction that maybe people weren't entirely expecting. And so then my editor there got back to me and suggested some edits. And so I've, and then I added an extra chapter actually into the middle over the summer. And uh, I've been, I've been making her edits now over the last couple of months. And hopefully I'll have that done in a few days. Then I'll send it back to her 
And I think, to be honest with you, I think I'll find it very easy just to leave it be mm. and move on from okay. it because I've been on it for three, three years, three years yeah. more, three and a half years, nearly four. Yeah. And um, that's, you know, that's just how long it takes yeah. for me or that's how long this one took. They all take as long as they take. And, uh, but I'm more than, I've been writing tons of new stuff, just trying out new ideas and so on. So I feel like I'm more than ready to kind of park that. and. Okay you know it's as good as it's gonna be at this okay. stage i don't think it sounds like it's gonna be good but uh, well, you say it's, it's unexpected but it sounds like there are themes that have been coming up with you i mean yeah. writing about like it seems like you think about writing an awful lot you write about yeah. writing and yeah this is write about other writers mm-hmm. and you even had a character called rob <laughs> as a writer in one of your stories yeah. so is y- yeah no this is a fair point actually when i say they weren't entirely expecting it yeah no that's not entirely true because in this is the ritual yeah. It was the, even that was a major kind of stylistic and formal break from here at a young man, which was you know a kind of pretty conventional linear novel, you know, with a, with a kind of you know page turnery kind of structure to it. Yeah. Whereas this is the ritual was a kind of um, you know it was a, it was a, a banquet of all different kind of formal directions that I was looking into and that I was playing with and having fun with. And one of the things I really got into there was, well, yeah, collapsing the distinction between autobiography and fiction. So you have a guy called Rob or Rob Doyle who drifts in and out of those stories. And you have some of them which are, as you say, almost essay stories about other authors, some of which are real, some of which are not. And in the new novel, I've just taken that further. And so the narrator of the whole thing is someone called Rob, you know, and it's, you is know. Is it metafiction? Is that what, is, is that um, what metafiction is about? Like I see Paul Oster's work is often called metafiction. Metafiction, yeah. I don't, the writer is in it. But. Yeah, yeah. I feel not exactly. I think the thing with metafiction is it's very much about the author is telling you that the characters he's created are fictional and right, it's yeah. it can be a little bit dry and a mm. little bit i mean i read tons of that i i know i used to cane that stuff when i was younger that was my that was my go-to drug you know mm. but um no i think what i'm doing is a bit looser more playful less it's not it's it's not necessarily a cerebral game it's just that rather than creating you know rather than going through the kind of uh, long-winded exercise of creating fictional persona and so on I'm essentially using a persona of myself as the narrator okay. and he's engaging with lots of people some of which are straightforwardly based on people I know some of which are pure invention um, but hopefully you know the reader won't necessarily be able to tell the difference or crucially care because it's its own it's got its own unity its own integrity it's its own reality you know every novel should be a kind of metaphysical reality that's like it's drawn up like a hologram like a virtual reality and so this is taking you essentially into my imaginative consciousness as it drifts around the world and engages sometimes with the work of other authors sometimes with artworks sometimes just with places where i've been with uh and with 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 some substances, psychedelic substances is a kind of common is a is a recurring theme in it. So yeah, 
can't wait. That's going to be close. Just two other things, Rob, I yeah. want to ask you before you get your fish and chips. Uh, <laughs> the, the other Irish tradition. Can you tell us about that? Oh, property? Yeah. And mm. it sounds like uh, not necessarily all surrealist work, but mm-hmm. all Irish writers who yes. had a kind of surreal twist. Yeah. Perhaps. Now, surreal, I don't know. but no. I would say, So the other Irish tradition is an anthology of Irish literature uh, covering about 300 years which will be published by the Docky Archive Press in late October, and uh, which I edited. And it, essentially, it's a celebration of the experimental, inventive, playful, even avant-garde streak in strain in Irish literature, going right back to uh, Lawrence Stern, who wrote Tristram Shandy, of course, and Jonathan Swift and people like that, right up to the contemporary period. So um, writers like June Caldwell or Mike McCormick, uh, many others, and, and everybody in between, including Beckett and Joyce and some of these very famous names, and then some far from famous names who were just doing... Uh, the, the idea of the anthology was there's a kind of um, accepted mainstream of Irish literature, which tends to favour a kind of melancholy realism, a sort of sombre lyricism and a kind of uh, a certain stateliness and a certain uh, automatic valorization of subtlety and this kind of mm. thing. And I just wanted to, I mean, I, the, the, the head of Docky Archive, John O'Brien, approached me and asked me if I would edit it because he saw my work as being very much in this to him kind of counter a healthy counter tradition that you know fed into and was fed by the the more overt mainstream tradition it's a slightly false um slightly artificial dichotomy to be honest because you know some of the authors who are in it are very much the the famous irish tradition beckett joyce flan o'brien um but yeah, just to try to uh, show, to celebrate, mm. really, the more, the ones who were trying to experiment with form and with uh, con- with, with uh, new ways of telling a story and that yeah. kind of thing. And some of the more, just the subversives in the Irish liter- literary kind of anti-canon or counter-canon or invisible canon. And while or, you were exploring that, did you kind of come close to why you think that has been quite prevalent in Irish literature? Um, is there any anything in our environment, our context? Is it to do with the Irish language and the English language, or the kind of thinking or cognitive processes here that might have something to do with that? I wonder. Is there a commonality I, between the writers. I can't say that I came up with any um, any you know major discoveries while I was doing it, but I'm all for kind of shooting from the hip from a position of you know uh, <laughs> off the top of my head. So I'll throw out the idea that maybe it's something in. Irish being kind of colonial subjects to this very near and very powerful uh, imperial neighbour, you know, that ruled over us and ruled our language and something in us that was kind of into playfully sabotaging that, sabotaging it and subverting it through humour, through through florid and explosive and um, Surprising uses of the language, mm. um, subversions of form. Maybe it's something Satire, like yeah. maybe you know. Okay, a lot of suppression like might mean that there's creativity bubbling out. And, yeah, like, and maybe just the kind of um, 
the maybe the kind of contempt of an oppressed people for a system that they see is brutally you know effective in one sense but is quite pompous and maybe doesn't have much um you're talking about the catholic church now or no what? i'm talking about <laughs> britain yeah, yeah but i guess that, that could be it too yeah but these are all purely speculative theories i okay. don't i don't really know it's the, yeah. the, the honest answer is i haven't got a clue <laughs> okay grand, we'll take that and the last thing then rob is uh there's a film coming out. Yeah. Here at the Young Men is going to be made, in, or has been made into a movie, but needs to be edited. Yes. And how? I just the question I want to ask you about it was, uh, I know you probably you sold the rights, but mm. was there any reluctance for you to hand that over? And did you f- feel like it was a cinematic novel? Um, did you have that in mind while you were writing? Or um, absolutely not. I no. didn't have it in mind while I was writing it, and I really think that would be a disastrous mm. way to go about <laughs> yeah. business. However, as soon as it was a, as soon as I had written it and a few people read it and before it was even published, then I did start and people said it to me that oh, I can see this being a film and I could completely see it. Um, but yeah, I'm quite definitely, I'm certain of the fact that it wasn't in my head at all to write it for the screen. You know, I, it's not the, I never wanted to be a screenwriter. I, you know, literature is my, is my passion and that's, that's where I'm comfortable, you know, I, I know how to construct paragraphs on a page and I know how to admire a sentence. So, but I'm a big film fan too, so I suppose, you know, cinema has fed into my creative imagination in a powerful so way too. you didn't too. help with the screenplay then? Or? I did initially. I, the, uh, Owen Mackin, the writer and director, contacted me and said he wanted to make a film, he had a production company and so on, but he would only do it if I would collaborate on the screenplay with him. So I did. I was living in Paris at the time, and I uh, wrote the first couple of drafts along with him. And he, um, but then, you know, his input, I thought was far more interesting than mine, frankly, because I was a bit sick of the story, you know, I've been Mm. writing that novel for four or five years. Mm. Uh, And so he kind of took it, I just said, look, do do your thing, you know. So he ran off and got the funding together and then rewrote the script several times with the, uh, you know, with the, with the kind of oversight of the Film Board of Ireland because they were partly funding it and this kind of thing and the Americans. And so I haven't actually read the final script, um, but it was shot all through August and I believe they're in the editing stages now. So, you know, touch wood, that's all going well. And I, I'm, going, I'm very curious. I saw, you know, I did a cameo of this drug dealing role and saw the rave scenes being filmed but other than that I don't really know what the film is going to be like uh, I think it will be great but I don't know what it's going to uh, what they've changed what they've put in so I'm mm. as intrigued as anybody to see how it'll it be hard for you to watch it from an objective point of view obviously you won't um, like, will you be able to analyse it as just a film viewer mm, or I think I will yeah. because I get I really you know being such a film like film is really big for in my world I just I, I'm a fan you know and mm. I get that to translate anything from one medium to another from lit, from prose fiction to cinema you know it's a different it's a different language you're speaking and I don't I speak that language only as an audience member not as a creator and so it was just a case of having sufficient faith in the vision of the people who were making the film to uh, be to, to you know have a sense that they'll do the they'll do well by it you know yeah so I hope so brilliant yeah. Rob thanks a million can't wait to 
come across the anthology, the new book and the movie. So there's a lot to look forward to. Thanks a million, Rob. Well, thank you. Cheers. <laughs>